Good morning. Uh, I'm Mark. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Legacy. We are glad that you're here, so welcome. Welcome to Legacy. We have been walking through the Apostles' Creed, uh, parts of it, uh, every week, and today we are on the part of the Creed that I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And so the main text that we're going to use today, it's going to be Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. These are two psalms that were a part of David's life after Nathan the prophet came to him and said, hey, you're in sin. And David turned back to the Lord, confessed his sin, and received forgiveness. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 51, and then we'll jump into Psalm 32 after that. So we've looked at So many parts of the Apostles' Creed already. We've looked at God the Father, that He's Almighty, and so many other things about the Father. We've looked at God the Son, His birth, His life, His suffering, the crucifixion, His burial, resurrection, and His ascension. So we've looked at the Father. We've looked at the Son. And we've looked at God the Holy Spirit and who He is. Not what it is, but who He is, the Holy Spirit, and how He works in our lives, and what He does. We've even looked at the belief that we are a community of believers. We are a local church. We are the the holy Catholic church, meaning all believers are part of this church, not We're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. So there's so much that we've talked about. And so much the creed says, hey, these things are important. And of ultimate importance is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this is where we begin to see a change within the creed. Now we see how we get involved. How we individually actually get involved, when we start saying, okay, I believe in these things, but I also believe in something that brings me into this story. It's the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Not only do I believe in God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and on and on, I believe these things, and I could write these papers about this, but I also believe that I have been forgiven. The forgiveness of sins. So why does God the Father forgive us of our sins? Bottom line is because He desires to do this and wants to do this. So if you think about it, you have so much action, so much work that is going on among the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Father, He sends the Son to come into this world. And there you have Jesus comes into this world. He's born of the Virgin Mary. He lives in this world. He does everything perfectly. He suffers in this world. And then he suffers on the cross. He dies and he is resurrected from the dead. He is is alive. So Jesus does a lot of action. And then the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he does so much too. He opens our eyes, opens our ears, opens our hearts. And then we get to, what do we do? Well, we get to be forgiven. 
There's a lot of work that happens in order for us to have salvation. And that work is of the Lord. But we are recipients of that work. And we receive forgiveness. So what do we bring to the table? By faith, we bring our sins. That's what we bring. We bring our brokenness, our neediness. We bring all of these things to the table. But here's the thing. With our empty and our dirty hands, God forgives us and pulls a chair up to the table and says, sit down, my son. Sit down, my daughter, at the table. So that's what we bring to the table is our sins. And God, through Christ, forgives us of our sins. And we have access to the Father. We have access to the Son, the Holy Spirit within us. And so there's not much that we get to boast about. But we do get to boast, and we get to boast in the Lord and what he has done. So we are forgiven. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. Those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, we are forgiven. So all glory to God that forgiveness lands on us and lands within us. This is all praise to God. And this is foundational for us that we are forgiven. You take away the forgiveness of sins and we're undone. We don't have a church anymore. Now we might have a gathering of people trying to work hard and trying to attempt great things and trying to get into heaven, but it's not going to cut it. It's not going to work. So we are a forgiven people. Our Father is a forgiving Father. Jesus made a way for us to be forgiven. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins, opens our eyes, and saves us by applying grace and forgiveness to us. So we're going to look at David a little bit. Now you're, you, can rem, you, would, you remember that we've talked about David for weeks on end. But this is a good example in the Bible of receiving forgiveness. We're going to look at David and see the beauty of God's grace through confession and forgiveness. So let's look at Psalm 51 together. I'm going to read through this. Read along with me silently as I read. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin are ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and, clean, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Again, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy 
of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So you have to remember, you have David. The prophet Nathaniel has come, the prophet Nathan has come to David and said, hey, he tells this story of, of something going on, and, and David is like, that is so unjust, that is not right, this person needs to be punished and even killed. And Nathan turns to him and says, well, that's you. I'm actually talking about you. You are the one that is in sin. And at that point, David realizes that. Now, he knew that he was in sin, but he was hiding his sin. He was covering it up. He was trying to do so much to get out from under sin. He didn't want the light of God in his life. He wanted to hide, and he kept digging holes and making things worse. He, was, he committed adultery, and then he sent the husband of the wife out to the battlefield and was killed. He had sin compounding, sin upon sin upon sin. And the prophet Nathan came to him and said, you are in sin. You are a sinner. Now, how bold is that for a prophet to come to a king? But Nathan was like, I serve the king, the king of kings. And I'm sure that Nathan was willing to to die for the sake of speaking truth and even being a part of a sanctifying process that was to happen with David. So you have King David, a man after God's own heart. He's committed adultery, tried to cover his sin up in a murderous way. He's hiding in his guilt. Nathan the prophet confronts him, and he comes undone. The knots he tried to tie in hiding his sin actually tied David up. And now the Lord is coming with a knife that cuts through the strangling knots and pierces the heart of David. St. Augustine in his book, Confessions, he says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. David had a restless heart. It was not resting. And he was forgetting that his very heart was made by God himself and that he needed to confess his sin to receive the streams of peace and reconciliation with God. David was living for himself and not the Lord, but the Lord was merciful to bring him back. You see, we're not smart enough to run to God. We're not clever enough to hide from him, and he knows that. And we're not strong and even stubborn stubborn enough to resist him. So those of us in the room that are real stubborn, 
don't worry. God's stronger than our stubbornness. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It eats our pride. It even scares us a little bit because in our stubbornness we think we're strong, but really we're just weak and we're trying to protect ourselves. And strength comes when we release. And the Lord fills us up. So he breaks through our confusion and pride, shows us mercy and grace, and we are gladly won over. We're gladly won over. That doesn't mean it's easy, and it's not a gladness that is just yeehaw, but it is a gladness of, okay, Lord, this sin is no longer in the dark. This sin no longer has its teeth sunk into me. This sin, through salvation, ultimately, the fangs that were in me and the poison that was in me from birth, you have received, you have taken out of me. Confession of sins is powerful. So he forgives. But see, his forgiveness, when I think about forgiveness, it's upside down. I feel like forgiveness really shouldn't be a thing if we're only talking about fairness. If we're only talking about God being just. It just seems like forgiveness shouldn't be a word that we know about. Because we sinned against the creator of the world. In all fairness, he could have just crushed Adam in in the spot and Eve right there in the spot. And not allowed anyone to be born after that. But from the beginning... There was a plan of salvation. And the salvation, it included, and it had to include, a plan of forgiveness. For us to be forgiven of our sin. Forgiven, or having our guilt removed. And even more than that, we see that not only do we get to be forgiven, but we're brought into the family of God. And there's so many So many beautiful benefits and rewards that Jesus has accomplished for us. But God didn't have to invent the concept of forgiveness. He didn't have to do that. He owes us nothing besides death and hell. But he chose to be merciful and gracious. (laughs) This is big. Again, this is what our Christian lives hinge on, that Jesus is merciful that he is gracious, that he would forgive us and bring us back into community with him. So let's look at Psalm 32. If you would turn back to just a few chapters of Psalm 32. We're going to walk through this. This is a psalm of David. So the first 50, uh, Psalm 51, you have you kind of have David's initial response. It, it, is this, it is this, forgive me. Psalm 32, you see a lot of the, the inner workings that is happening as he's doing this. David says this, blessed, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. So it is, it is a happy thing for us to have our sins covered, for us to not have our sin hidden within us, deep within. Here in a little bit, we are going to talk about the difference of initial forgiveness of sins 
and being brought into initial light and into the kingdom of God. And then us as believers continually confessing our sins and continually seeing more light, tasting more water. But there was this covering. There was a covering that Christ did. There was an atonement. There was a blood that was poured out by Christ. There was an imputing of our sins to Christ. The Old Testament, you would have the priest that would represent the people. He would represent the people being a sinful man himself, representing the people, would take the animal that's going to be sacrificed. He would place his hands on the animal, and it was as if the sins of the people are placed on this animal, and that animal was slain and killed. And it was the imagery of that is what we deserve. We deserve to be slain and killed. But Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats is not sufficient to forgive us of our sins. But it was a call that the Lord said. This is a system, but it's a system of shadows. It's a system of pointing to the coming Messiah. In Isaiah 53, that one day there will be one who comes. And he will be slain. And that is Christ. So our sins, Jesus takes our sins. The difference is Jesus goes to the cross not representing himself as a sinner though. He receives the imputation of our sins. God lays upon him our sins. Boom, they are placed on Christ. And Christ receives the wrath of God in our place. Wow, blessed Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Is your sin covered? Have you trusted Christ? There is an atonement. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And I see biblically how God remains just to enter in the concept of forgiveness with us because Jesus came and made a way for us. He was covered in my sin. I am covered in his righteousness. It is a great exchange that I bring nothing to the table again except confession in my sin and my brokenness. Martin Luther says this. He says, learn to know Christ and him crucified. Learn to sing to him and say, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness. I am your sin. You took on you what was mine. You set on me what was yours. You became what you were not, that I might become what I was not. I became righteous. I became forgiven. Forgiven, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Verse 3, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Again, David was tying some serious knots of hiding. He had sinned against God, and he even says that. I, 
against you have I sinned. Yes, he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against many people. He sinned in many ways. But his bones began to waste away. They began to feel as if they were going to break. And that's a good thing. Often we want to run from things when we know that we are in sin. Those of you that aren't in Christ, you're you're trying to cover up this, this feeling of guilt because we are guilty. We are guilty of sinning against God. And so we try to do so many things to cover up these feelings. We try to cover up so much. And those of us that are believers, the guilt has been removed. The guilt has been removed, but we still enter in. There still is a fellowship that is there, but there is this distance that we say, God, I can't be close to you. Friends, I can't be close to you. And you know what that is like when we are living in the dark, in unconfessed sin. But when we keep silent about sin, we really do begin to feel like we're wasting away. We get eaten up with anxiety over us trying to hide these things, trying to shape a narrative to make us feel better. But here's the thing. This isn't to pat us on the back as a church, because we can do it too. We could do it individually in our comm groups. We can do it sometimes unintentionally, even from the stage and the pulpit. But sometimes we do maybe minimize sin and keep silent about sin. But we don't need to do that because we know that the realization of when we are in sin, we need grace. (laughs) We need to be reminded of that saving grace that had come to us is still the same grace that lifts us up puts our feet back on the solid ground. The grace, yes, that is preserving us and that will help us to persevere to the end, absolutely, but the grace that reminds us that we are His. We need grace. We think that confessing sin is somehow opposite to gospel fluency. It's not. Because I believe in the forgiveness of sins... Confession of sin is actually part of the ongoing conversation that we have with the Lord and with one another. I should be telling you I'm sorry when I sin against you. I shouldn't just think, ah, he's my friend no matter what. We've got this relationship no matter what. And even if you are that strong and that loving towards me, I still need to say, hey, Cohen, I sinned against you, brother. I'm sorry. And I want to encourage you. Look, I'm not telling you how to speak, how to say things. But in our house, we try not to say, in response to that, we try not to say, it's okay. No, I get it, right? I get it. It's uncomfortable for all of us. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm really sorry I did this. I'm sorry I yelled at you. I'm sorry I did this. Whatever it is. For the other person, hey, it's okay. It's okay. I would just want to encourage you to say, I forgive you. I love you. Again, I'm not trying to give you a script, but somebody's basically saying, I've, 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 I've gone against you, and it's not okay. God's grace pours out when we confess our sins. 
Now, Paul knew this. And in Romans, he knows that even as he's teaching, that he thinks people are going to start to say, okay, so you're saying that we just need to keep sinning all the more? So there's more grace? He's like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the truth, that you are going to sin. And there's so much grace that is going to come to you and for you to have. And there is going to be sanctification. And in particular areas, you should see more of a turning away from particular sins. But here's the thing is, and I'm not, I'm not trying to discourage any of you in this room, but my experience has been usually when my eyes are focused on particular sins that I struggle with, and the Lord does help me to see that He is better, and then I start to see not only that Christ was victorious over that sin, I'm no longer, there's no condemnation for me over that, but I still feel like I'm still pulled into it, drawn into it, I still sin against God. Here's the thing, is that once I begin to personally feel a victory over that, where I'm not drawn as much, the magnet's not pulling me into that sin, I'm not as tempted, I start to see, oh, well, here's something else. (laughs) Here's something else. And here's something else. And here's something else. And it can be really discouraging if it's all about us. If it's all about us, trying to save an image, trying to look like we have it together. But if it really is about believing in the forgiveness of sins, it's like, okay, Lord, I want you to sanctify me not only here, but here, here, and here. And part of that sanctification process, God, I think, you, I think you're telling me that I need to confess some sin when I do enter into that. Now, I want to remind us that temptation by itself is not sin, Okay? but it's when we bite the apple, when we disobey and jump in. Raise your hand real quick if you've ever heard of, uh, I like these things, so, but Disciple Now Weekends, D-Now Weekends for youth. All right, so a lot of us uh, have, have heard of those. These are, these are good. They're great. They're fine. Uh, I went to this one church one time to be a D-Now leader. Uh, I was just out of college. And the pastor met with us. And he said, before y'all go into these different houses to meet with the kids, there's just one thing I want you to know that our church doesn't do. We don't use the word sin. I was like, okay. Well, what and, and I was like, okay, so maybe there's a different word. I was like, okay, so maybe he's old school. Maybe he only says transgressions. You know, whatever. I don't know. I was like, I, where are we going with this? And so I asked questions. He's like, no, we don't, we don't want to make our youth feel bad. We don't want to make our adults feel bad. And I really did think that this is not, this is not the gospel. Yeah, we don't want to just make people feel bad, but they are wasting away. Their bones are being weak. They are tied up in knots because of sin. They need to hear the good news. And so I was a disobedient D-Now leader that weekend. Verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. So don't run from the heavy hand of God. He's driving you to confession. He's driving you to freedom. 
He's driving you to greater riches. He's driving you to himself. Not a system. He's driving you to himself. His glory. His love. His provision. His hand is driving you to his ways. His peace. His comfort. His adventure. His affirmation, his smile, his kingdom, his counsel. He is, with his heavy hand, is saying, I am driving you to my arms that will hold you. His hands to wipe away your tears. His heavy hand is pressing upon us because he desires to protect us from Satan and his demons. He wants to protect us from this world. He wants to protect us from our own flesh and desires that are harmful for us. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. I praise God for the heavy hand of God. Don't run from that kind of heavy hand. Don't run from it. Yield to it. Say, biblically, God, what are, you, what are you trying to press me into? What are you trying to do? Where are you trying to lead me? And it all comes back. It all comes back to he's desiring to press us more into the knowledge and freedom that we are set free in Christ. And as he's pressing us with his heavy hand, with his other hand, so to speak, he is trying to take out all the things that are not good for us. Yield Yield. If you are not a Christian, yield to the heavy, beautiful hand of God that will never break you. The only time the heavy hand of God broke someone in this type of community, covenant community, was his own son. His hand came and crushed the son for us so that we could have life. That same hand and through the power of Jesus, rose him up from the dead. We are invited into some amazing gospel truths. Yield to his hand. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So God forgives. God forgives. God forgave David. God forgave Paul. Paul was out killing Christians. God forgave him. Then there's the woman at Jesus' feet who had a particular type of sin going on in the community that everyone knew about her. We assume that it was prostitution, but we don't know for a fact what it was. But what we do know is that she had a little bit of wealth, she had some perfume, and she came to a party that she wasn't invited to, and she came to the feet of Jesus and was crying because of her sins, and the tears were falling on his feet, and she was putting perfume on there and wiped away the tears with her hair, and Jesus forgave her. And the people, the Pharisees at the party were like, what is going on here? The people that were trying to keep it all together 
to be good, to do right. Here comes the sinner in at the feet of Christ. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. David, Paul, in this particular Mary, believes in the forgiveness of sins. Zacchaeus, consumed with money, believes in the forgiveness of sins. The woman at the well, she believes in the forgiveness of sins. The paralytic that was lowered down through the roof believes in the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is like, what is, what is, what is greater to you, for me to heal this person or to forgive them of their sins? To forgive them of their sins. That we have been forgiven of our sins is the biggest thing that has happened. And then those that killed Jesus, Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. But then Peter, just a, hours before this, Peter in the garden, Peter in the courtyard, Peter in different places, Jesus had told him, you're going to, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. And then after that, there's going to be a, a rooster who's going to crow. And that happened. Let's look at Luke 22, 61 and 62 real quick. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So the, he, denied, he denied Jesus, knowing Jesus, being one of the disciples. And right when he did that, cock-a-doodle-doo, and, then, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Jesus locks eyes with Peter. He locks eyes with him. As Peter, as Jesus is over here about to be crucified, going through all of the stuff, being accused of things, Peter is over here being accused of little things, being accused of being one of them. He's like, no, nah. Jesus is over here being accused of being a king, and he's not denying it, knowing that it's going to lead to his death. How you think Jesus looked at Peter is how you think Jesus looks at you now, believer, those of you that are in Christ, and even those of you that aren't believers yet. How you think that 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 locking in went, that's how you view Christ. Was Jesus looking at Peter like, ah, of course, of course you're going to do that. I told you you were going to do that. Look at me. Look how smart I am. Look how all-knowing I am. Of course you're going to do that. Did you look at him like, even just tears of, you're so pitiful. You're such a loser. Or do you just look at him with rage? Of, can you just, can you just man up? Just be a man. Get crucified too. Get your own cross. I believe that Jesus looked at Peter with the eyes of "I love you," and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing today. I know what I'm about today. You're going to know more fully what I'm about, and yeah, I told you that you were going to do this. 
And yeah, I am looking at you. But I'm looking at you as one that knows that, yes, you don't have it together. You can't get it together. You never will. That's why I'm going to the cross. I believe that it was a locking in. I believe it was a looking in of, I love you. I'm here for you. And I'm about to be there for you in a way that you've never seen or dreamed before. You've been having questions about this continually. And you're about to see. You're about to taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely. Surely in the rush of great waters, so that you may be found, surely in the rush of great waters, they will not reach him. So this goes from a covering of sin to a forgiveness of sin to being over here being dried up. Just what is going on? This angst, this anxiety, this my bones are wasting away to a sin is covered, to a forgiveness of sins, to a God protects me from the rush of water that comes in that tries to drown us, that tries to knock us down. We could get into uh, the area they lived in, the drought and the heavy rains that would come and fill up these, these wells. I mean, they were dangerous floodwaters. And we are protected in Christ from the things of this world. Verse 7. David says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So Jesus is to be our hiding place. He's to be our hiding place. But here's the thing. We hide our sin. We find places for our sin to hide. And that's mainly our hearts. We try to hide our sin. And we keep going to more trouble. But what we need to do, we need to confess it and bring it to light. And then hide in Christ. So there's the, the old hymn, Rock of Ages. You would just look at this with me real quick. And just think about, think about what Christ has done specifically to help us see that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. So Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I clean. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul to the fountain I fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That is confession of sin. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord, or I die. Wash me, or I die. Confession is hard. 1 John 1 9 says this. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, okay, let's, let's just parse out the difference of not being in Christ, not being a Christian, in those of us that are Christians. Bottom line, if you're not in Christ, you need to be forgiven of your sins. You need to be forgiven of your sins. We've all sinned against God. 
He's made a way for us to be forgiven through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And you need forgiveness. In the, the mental picture that I get, it's as if, and I've shared this here before, but it's as if we're in a kingdom and we've sinned clearly against the king and we are locked up in the dungeon. We're locked up in the dungeon, chained up, deserving to be there, and the executioner is on his way. We're going to be beheaded. We're going to be hung. We are on death row. But yet, the prince of the kingdom, Jesus himself, walks the green mile for you, walks to death row for you, receives the punishment that you deserve, and dies in your place. Rises up from the dead, comes down into the dungeon, and says, I will give you life. And you see him you see the forgiveness offered, and you say, set me free from my sin. I am guilty. I need forgiveness. And the Son sets you free. But not only does He set you free, He doesn't say, okay, now just go home. He says, come with me up into the castle. Sit with me at the table. You are now not only forgiven, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. If I could add anything to the creed, it would be I believe in the adoption of sons and daughters. But back in the day, they knew all this was together. We're not just forgiven. We are brought in. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Verse 9, Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Again, there's those of us in this room that need that initial forgiveness. But then there's those of us that are believers, that we are sitting at the table. We're sitting at the breakfast table with the Lord. He says, hey, I love you. You're part of my family. We go out during the day. We go out to work. We go out with our families. We go out to do stuff. And we're prideful. We lust. We're greedy. Fill in the blank. We come back in the evening and the Lord is just like, how did your day go? And we say, Father, forgive me. We've sinned again. Today I was so compelled by the things not of this kingdom. Help me. I want to go out into all the world. I want to make you known. I want to declare things to the world. But I still keep going back to the old rotten food. I still want to visit the dungeon. Help me. Don't be like a horse or mule that that has to have a bridle. In other words, don't be a donkey. Don't be a donkey. That's... The PG version, that's it. Don't be a donkey. But we are. We're donkeys. We're stubborn. Yield. My brothers and sisters in Christ, there's something in some of your lives right now that you're, you're not yielding to the Lord. And you know it. You need to confess that to the Lord. You need to confess that to a brother or sister in Christ. Do it. Do it. The Lord is good. Verse 10 
Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So you have the steadfast love of the Lord that will surround you. So let's, let's look at the Jesus Storybook Bible. Let's look at this quote. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. And though we would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him, lost children yearning for their home. And God will lead us home. He will. He's committed to that. You, if you're a believer, you will one day be at home with the Lord. It's going to happen. Don't miss out on the joy of right now. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Let's look at this cross chart, and we're going to wrap this up today. So basically, this represents, you see, that that time is moving this way. There's a place where I was living only for myself. I was dead in my sins. But then there was a time of conversion where I heard the good news and the Holy Spirit came in and opened my eyes. I gave my life to Christ. There's a conversion. Now I, the old is gone, the new has come. I am now forgiven. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Lord, forgive me. I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. And I, be, I begin to grow in my awareness of God's holiness. I'm looking at the stories of the Bible. I'm looking at the gospel. And I'm aware that, wow, God is holy. He's amazing, he's big, but wow, he's pure and holy. But I also, as I grow in my faith, I grow in my life, as I live in this world and walk, I also have a growing awareness of my flesh and my sinfulness. Often we want to park the word sin at the split. You can park your condemnation at the split, but you still... Sin. You still sin. You still need to come to the Father as a son, as a daughter, and confess your sin. But here's the thing. Notice the cross. And this is where grace is beautiful. This is where confessing sin is actually a super healthy, brilliant thing of the Lord. Is because the more you realize your sin and confess your sin to one another, there's healing. But the more you see how amazing Jesus is, he gets the glory. You get the freedom from those things that are holding you. But it's because you know that Christ is the one that continually cuts through the knots and continually pierces my heart for his good and for his glory. And the cross of Christ begins to be bigger in my life. The reason I think so many Christians stay dormant, so to speak, in their faith is because they don't, we don't, take our sin seriously as believers. But if I was to rephrase that, we really don't take the grace of Jesus seriously. Confess your sins to the Lord. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So when we forget what the Lord saved us from, we dry up. We get bored. We get bored with him. Really, we get bored through our forgetfulness of him. 
So today, I'm not talking about how we need to forgive one another. You can go back to Luke's sermon. It's called David and Forgiveness. And that is a great sermon on how we need to, because, of, because we believe in the forgiveness of sins, because we believe that God has forgiven us, Jesus tells us we must forgive others. So I'm not trying to tell you this morning how you forgive other people, but I'm telling you the key to it is, is once you know how much you've been forgiven, and once you continually see how much you're continually forgiven, you can go and offer this same love because it's all focused and lands still on Jesus. And we're not even talking today how to learn how to forgive yourselves. There's just things that when you confess that still just comes back on you. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I treat this person that way? I wish I could go back and undo that. And yes, you do. But sometimes they're just, you, you have to work through. God has forgiven me. I have, offered, I have offered a confession to this person. Whether they forgive me or not, that's all I can do. That's all I can do. So in closing, there's three basic applications for today. 1 John 1, 9. If you are not a believer and you desire to have your sins forgiven, go to Christ. Go to Jesus. Go to him. Say, Lord, save me, a sinner. Give me life. Give me a new heart. Give me yourself. If you have questions about that, come talk to me. Come talk to Luke. Come talk to the other elders. Come and talk to if you've been visiting in a comm group. Talk to your comm group people. We would love to talk to you about the forgiveness of sins. For those of us that are believers, the application for us today is simple. I don't want you to get so introspective that you just start freaking out. (laughs) But, But where is God's hand? Again, it's his hand. Where is his hand saying, hey, hey, Mark, you, you, mm mm-mm, no, this is not good. Where are the places where he's like, Mark, you know so good and so well that this is horrible. Whatever it is, if there's any of that, any nudging, any pressing in that the Lord is doing, any particular parts of your life that need confession, confess that to the Lord as a believer. Taste his beautiful grace today.